Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who once attended a festival known as the Beer and Bagel Run. It was a Bigfoot-themed 5K run, complete with adult beverages and bagels at the end of it. So I didn't win first place, but I did win an awesome participation medal, and it's one of the many little shiny treasures that I have on display here at So Strange Studios. So right off the bat... I want to preface this show by apologizing to the following countries. Finland, Spain, England, Canada, Thailand, uh, South Korea, Wales, and Hong Kong. Uh, Why, you might ask? Well, it's because I'm about to butcher some pronunciations of local locations uh, within those beautiful countries. So I'll do my best, but please forgive me if I stumble and mispronounce some of them. Uh, Better yet, if you want to make this a drinking game, uh, take a sip each time I can't say a name properly, and by the end of the show, you'll be full of Christmas cheer. So locate your passport and pack your bags, because we're about to take a super strange tour around the world as we explore 13 of the most unusual festivals in the world. And trust me when I say that these parties and celebrations are the very definition of so strange. Some annual festivals emerge out of religious rituals or cultural events, while others come about because of marketing experiments or boredom. But here are the festivals that might make you scratch your head. And uh, first, we're going to Finland, more specifically, Sankajarvi, Finland. Say it with me, it's fun. Sankajarvi. And this is the Wife Carrying World Championship. That's right, World Championship of Carrying Your Wife. Uh, Wife Carrying, or... Uh, you, you can canto in Finnish, uh, originated as a sport in Sankajarvi, Finland in 1992. The exact origins of the tradition are unknown, but each story has something to do with theft. Uh, so today, wife carrying is practiced around the world. Participants are allowed to carry their wives in a variety of ways, including piggyback style, fireman's carry, or Estonian style, which is where the wife hangs upside down with her legs around her husband's shoulders. Sounds kind of kinky. And they carry her across a 253.5 meter track. Don't forget that last half meter. And it's riddled with obstacles. Uh, So the prize is awarded based on the wife's weight in beer. Uh, So basically, (laughs) the winner uh, wins their wife's weight in beer. Uh, And I'm guessing that's how the tradition started. (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say some guy who was completely loaded, uh, thought it was a good idea to carry his wife, and then it turned into a competition. Uh, anyway, drinking beer after uh, after a race. Yeah, it sounds like a really great way to replenish those electrolytes and begin uh, training for next year's competition, right? Okay, next we're going to Spain, to the Baby Jumping Festival in Castrillo de Murcia, Spain. And it's known to the Spanish locals as El Calacho, Uh, This festival happens 60 days after Easter during the Feast of Corpus Christi, which I thought that was a place in Texas, or excuse me, Florida. Shows what I know about geography. Uh, The Baby Jumping Festival is a baptismal ceremony wherein babies who were born over the last year are absolved of sin. The religious custom dates back to the early 1600s. Men dressed in traditional devilish clothing terrorize the crowd, before running down the street and jumping over babies who have been carefully laid out on pillows. 
No injuries have ever been reported, but the Catholic higher-ups frown upon the ritual. So basically what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is the Olympic long jump with babies lined up in a row. Are you freaking kidding me? So I don't even know where I begin with this here. I have so many questions. Uh, first of all, what constitutes a sin, quote-unquote, in a baby's world? Like, how could they possibly be guilty of anything when they're less than a year old? You know, are we going to hold crying, teething, and, like, drooling as blasphemous? Get out of here with that nonsense. Babies are pure. They're wonderful. They're perfect little beings. They don't need to be absolved of sin. Uh, secondly, even if they did do something wrong in the eyes of God, how in the heck would dressing up in a devil costume and leaping over them wash away the sins of these children? Uh, just asking for a friend, mind you. Uh, but these poor kids are going to need a lot of therapy after they repress all these uh, blood-curdling images. And thirdly, uh, I'm glad no injuries have been reported that we know of. Uh, dear Lord Baby Buddha, you know, something like this wouldn't fly in the United States. Just saying, it would be like a lawsuit waiting to happen. And then again, who are we to judge the Spanish for their traditions? I mean, the U.S. can be a pretty dangerous place as well. Next, we go to England, to Gloucestershire, if I'm saying that correctly. We're going to the Cheese Rolling Festival. Every year on a cool day at the end of May, grown adults gather in the village of Brockworth to chase a rolling nine-pound wheel of double, double Gloucester cheese down a steep hill. Now, before the race down Cooper's Hill begins, the fences are removed, the undergrowth is cut, uh, and the site is swept through for stones and other dangerous objects. But the race is still dangerous for competitors and spectators. Uh, over the years, many have been seriously injured due to the steepness and unevenness of the hill and the bulk and the speed of the cheese itself. And this led to a loss of official management in 2010. But the locals are hugely uh, proud of their traditional event, and it carries on today unmanaged. And in 2015, around 4,000 people came out to watch the spectacle. Uh, spectacle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to counter the inevitable post-event constipation, uh, the festival should be sponsored by a stool softener company or a brand of laxatives. Think about it. That's a genius, untapped marketing idea. Uh, then again, I guess I'm assuming that they eat that wheel of cheese afterwards. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just stick to fish and chips over there in England. But I can't help but wonder if anyone's ever been killed by a rolling wheel of cheese. You know, I imagine those roll at a good clip once they hit full speed. We're talking about nine pounds of, you know, nine pounds of cheddar going down a 30 or 40 degree incline. I mean, that'll do some damage. And uh, as morbid as it sounds, if anyone's ever lost their life during the festival, I hope it was written into their will that their headstone should, you know, be like a, a wheel of cheese, like a stone epitaph uh, that reads, you know, here lies John. He had a Gouda life. May the afterlife be even feta. If you don't like cheese, but do like rolling yourself down dangerously steep hills to chase after a wheel of cheese... You could try competing in the Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling Contest in Gloucestershire, England. We, we were blown away. Honestly, you, you, you can't imagine, and even the photographs don't do it justice. This, you know, parts of this hill are a sheer drop. And I don't even like cheese. Contestants threw themselves down the hill on Monday in three races that are so dangerous, local police have discouraged the public from even attending the chaotic event. You don't know what's going on. You just run in. That's it. It's just like running, well, it is running down a hill, isn't it? So... The competition is believed to be hundreds of years old and it attracts participants each year from across the globe. 
I don't know, I can't even describe it. It's just, you think it's a certain size on TV and in pictures, and you get here and it's just Herculean. It's massive. 19-year-old local Josh Shepard won the first race. Race two was won by 24-year-old Ryan Fairley. No, you're going to do the cheese now. I don't know, they like cheese. <laughs> and the excessively crowded race three was won by Sheldon Ronald. Of course, some participants sustained pretty significant injuries. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> including a concussion and a broken leg. Still, many say they're looking forward to doing it all over again at Cooper's Hill next May. Anywho, uh, <laughs> that video was brought to you by the Wall Street Journal, believe it or not, on YouTube. Next, we have the International Hair Freezing Contest in Whitehorse, Yukon, Canada. Located up in the frigid province of Yukon, Canada, the International Hair Freezing Contest is a fun winter celebration that occurs every February at the Takini Hot Pools. Uh, participants in the contest dunk their heads in hot water of the pools, and then they create frosty hairdos by shaping their locks as they freeze in the cold air above. Uh, temperatures in the area can reach negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit at the time of the contest, and uh, winners receive a small cash prize. It's pretty convenient, actually, because the winner can use that small cash prize and go to the hospital and get checked for hypothermia. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, they're a tough bunch up there in the Yukon. you got to give them that. Um, but I think I'll sit that one out. It has me reaching for my electric blanket just thinking about it. Here in Omaha, Nebraska, um, you know, we get some pretty intense heat during the summer, but we also get frigid temperatures during the winter. Um, you know, air so cold it'll make you say cuss words, as I always say. And and it's it's worse when you're pumping gas. I, I, that's, that's my take anyways, because, you know, when it's like negative 22 here in Omaha and you're trying to pump your gas, the, the dang gas pump nowadays asks you a million questions. You know, it asks for your the zip code associated with your uh, with your with your debit card. It asks you if you want a receipt. You know, do you want a car wash? Do you want to take a survey? And like my fingers are about falling off because I have, you know, it's so frigid out. Uh, it just makes me want to say cuss words. But nothing compared to what they're dealing with up there in Canada. And uh, I don't know I can hear some some uh, <laughs> some mom out there listening to this is thinking, aren't they going to catch a cold with wet hair? Next, we go to La Puri, Thailand, to the at first I thought this said the Monkey Butt Festival, which may be a thing. I don't know. It's the Monkey Buffet Festival. And uh, before you start to consider, you know, how a monkey would taste, it's not that kind of buffet. This is a buffet for monkeys. All right. The local monkey population of around uh, two to three thousand in this province of North Bangkok is gifted with a feast of 4,000 kilograms of fruits, vegetables, cakes, and candies every November. After the monkeys are given their treats, kids dressed up as monkeys perform dances. And the festival first occurred in 1989, so a relatively recent event. Uh, and it's run by a local businessman who thought of this unique way to drive up tourism in La Puri. Uh, luckily for him and the monkeys, it worked. Cute little monkeys. Feeding those monkeys, getting them nice and nice and plumped up for the winter time. All right, enough monkeying around. I need to pause here and address a few business items real quick. Uh, first of all, you can become a subscriber to this podcast by uh, clicking the link in the show notes. Uh, doing so will unlock a uh, super strange bonus episode each and every Thursday. So you can immediately double the content that you can listen to. 
Uh, just yesterday on the Super Strange bonus episode, I talked about man-made metal spheres that were found in South Africa that are 2.8 billion years old, well before humans walked the Earth. So, uh, if that sounds up your alley, uh, become a subscriber. You can listen to it right now. Uh, secondly, please rate and review the show if you're enjoying it. Tell your weird friends who might also think it's interesting. And last but not least, you can check out my other podcast, which is called Paranormal Dads. So uh, thanks for your support. And uh, now we fly to South Korea to Boryong uh, and the Boryong Mud Festival. This annual festival occurs in July in the village of Boryong, 200 kilometers south of Seoul. Uh, the festival is not historic by any means. In fact, the first one took place in 1998, and it was originally created as a marketing event for Boryong Mud Cosmetics. The mud from the Boryong Mud Flats is considered rich in natural minerals and is used to make beauty products. So uh, the two-week promotional event is now popular with locals and tourists alike. Notable festivals include a mud pool, mud slides, mud prison, and mud skiing. You know, the thought of a mudslide uh, makes my inner child giddy. I mean, can you imagine? Sounds like a great time. Kind of reminds me of that scene from the movie uh, Goonies, right, where they find those water slides inside that cave and they kind of plunge into a pool of uh, sparkling water before they see that pirate ship. Uh, but in the case of the, the South Korean festival, I guess it would contain a little less sparkles and a little more mud, but it would still be good for the skin and possibly the time of your life. So if, if you're into that sort of thing, go check it out. Now we have Burning Man, the Burning Man Festival in Black Rock Desert, Nevada, right here in the USA. At the end of every summer, an artistic community comes together to create and dismantle a city in the Nevada desert. Uh, founded in 1986 in San Francisco, California, Burning Man is a mindset as well as a festival. Some of the group's values include radical inclusion, self-reliance, self-expression, community cooperation, uh, decommodification, and more. The community uh, celebrates by combining all of their individual talents to create artistic sculptures, buildings, performances, art cars, and more that all participants can enjoy. Uh, the event culminates in the burning of a large wooden man, which has reached a height of 105 feet in recent years. And after the event, the festival goers aim to leave no trace of their activities, by restoring the environment to exactly as it was when they arrived. Uh, that's great. Um, you know, and in fact, I just read an article that they are very meticulous about leaving the place as it was when they got there, down to, like, combing the place for something as small as a hair from a wig. Like, they literally leave no uh, evidence that they were there. So, which is great. You know, you take care of, uh, take care of nature. Nature will take care of you. And that ensures that that festival will continue for a long, long time. Sounds wacky, kooky, creative, fun. Bunch of hippies out there. Bunch of hippies. Uh, let's see. World Toe Wrestling Championship <laughs> in England. Uh, why not, right? There's thumb wrestling. Why can't there be toe wrestling? The location of the World Toe Wrestling Championship varies, but the practice originated in the village of Wetton, Staffordshire in the 1970s. It was born out of the desire for the UK to have its own championship in some type of sport. Uh, just like arm wrestling, two people go up against one another in each match, which is won by the best of three. Uh, players can only take part in the tournament after a thorough toe examination by a qualified nurse.
I've fought Canadians, Belgians, Germans, but many of our different nationalities. No, he's not an English football hooligan from the early 90s. He's a wrestler, but not just any wrestler. The men and women who gathered in Derbyshire for this competition keep their deadly weapons in their shoes. Well, you have to for the World Toe Wrestling Championships. This year saw a final that furthered the bitter rivalry between Paul the Predator Beach, formerly known as the Terminator, and former world champion Nasty Alan Nash, who courteously explained the rules. You interlock the big toes, uh, the same as arm wrestling. Yeah, you keep the leg that you're not wrestling with off the ground, keep your bum on the ground, both hands on the ground, so no leverage, and take the other person's foot over to the sideboard. After months of training, kicking tyres and lifting miniature toe-sized weights, the two met to do battle. Now that is a true athlete's foot. In the end, the Predator won, though you'd never have guessed, thanks to his modesty and quiet reserve. I knew I'd win. I told you I'd win beforehand, and I've won now, and I'll win next year. Whoever comes next year, Nasty Nash comes next year, I'm breaking his ankle. I'm breaking his ankle. And that clip was brought to you by ITN Archive on YouTube. All right, and if I could be candid here for a moment, uh, I must admit two things. Uh, first of all, at, at the moment of recording this podcast, I'm nestled in here at uh, So Strange Studios, and I'm rocking a pair of Bigfoot slippers. They're warm, they're cushy, they're oversized, and they're quite hairy. And uh, Sasquatch himself would be proud of these things. Uh, they keep my piggies nice and warm on cold days in late November, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I wear these on a daily basis through the fall and winter seasons. So, therefore, when it comes to matters of the feet, I'm not in a position to poke fun at anyone or any competition. So, toe wrestlers, do your thing. Uh, secondly, I have to admit that even if I wanted to, I would not be allowed to enter the World Toe Wrestling Championship. Uh, you see, I was born with webbed toes. Uh, not all of them, just the middle two toes on each foot. Uh, there's like a skin webbing that joins them together. And uh, apparently my great-great-great-great-grandpappy was part German, part Irish, and part duck. But uh, I can't complain. Makes me a faster swimmer, even if just by a fraction of a second. But uh, this this little genetic knock-knock joke would uh, probably prevent me from entering the, the toe wrestling competition, I'm afraid. I'm not sure if it would be, you know, considered an advantage or a disadvantage in the highly competitive world of professional toe wrestling, but... I guess we'll never we'll never find out. But uh, meanwhile, big congrats to the uh, Predato, formerly known as the Tominator, for his recent success. Now we're going to Buñol, Valencia, Spain, for La Tomatina. The Spanish Tomato Festival has run annually in August during a week-long celebration in Buñol, since 1945, when a rowdy crowd took the tomatoes from a vegetable stall and started a food fight. The hour-long tomato fight used up an estimated 319,000 pounds of tomatoes in 2015. Since 2013, La Tomatina has been a, a ticketed event to limit participants to just 20,000. <laughs> just 20,000, that's all, huh? Uh, before then, up to 50,000 guests had been reportedly involved in the food fight, after an hour of a free-for-all tomato-tossing, uh, trucks sprayed down the streets and many participants washed themselves in the pool of Los Peñoles. Uh, 
Okay, all right, okay. You know, I'm thinking maybe we bring some pizza dough and some mozzarella cheese to Valencia and turn that little shindig into a pizza party. I mean, might as well put all that tomato sauce to good use and not be wasteful. All right, next up, we have the World Bog Snorkeling Championships. <laughs> Talking bog snorkeling championships. And this is in, oh boy, uh, Lily, Lilan, we're tidded. Uh, okay, it's in Wales. That's all you need to know. It's in Wales. It's in the UK. I can't pronounce it. Take a sip. Uh, but the bog snorkeling originated as a sport in Lanwerted um, in 1976, and the annual August Championship has been running since 1985 at, oh gosh, at the Wayne Rid Bog. Armed with a snorkel and flippers, uh, participants must complete two consecutive lengths in a 60-yard trench of water cut through a peat bog, relying only on their flippers to push them through. Uh, hundreds travel to Wales from around the world to take part in this unusual sporting event. Huh. I've got nothing witty to add here. I guess sometimes you just got to snorkel in a bog. Uh, next, we have the Air Guitar World Championship in Aulu, Finland. The Air Guitar World Championship has been held annually in Aulu, Finland since 1996 as part of the Aulu uh, Music Video Festival. What started as a joke has turned into serious uh, a serious draw for the event. Participants must play air guitar on stage in two rounds, with each lasting at least one minute. Uh, so one song's chosen by the participant and one song's chosen by the organizer, and they must play air guitar only. No drums, no air piano, just air guitar, and they are scored out of a possible uh, six stars, apparently, six something. Uh, the ideology behind the event is a simple one, uh, quote, wars would end and all the bad things would go away if everyone just played air guitar. If everyone just played air guitar. Hey, count me in, man. You know, if we're going to make the world a better place, one imaginary air guitar riff at a time, I'm all for it. I mean, it's worth a shot, right? What have we got to lose? You know, it's scientifically proven that playing air guitar for five minutes a day can increase energy levels, decrease stress, eliminate insomnia, improve joint mobility, boost the immune system, and strengthen muscles. Did I make up those facts? Yes. Yes, I did. But I bet you my favorite pair of Bigfoot slippers, if anyone took the time to conduct a legit study of the benefits of playing air guitar, I bet most of those benefits would actually check out to be scientifically true. And uh, with time... I'm going to go on record with a prediction, actually. With time, I foresee the Air Guitar World Championship growing and evolving into entire bands. I mean, you could have someone playing air drums, air keyboard, uh, someone on vocals silently belting out their, you know, belting out their heart with their air microphone. Um, you know, it'll be in, uh, I'll be over in the corner, actually, playing the air cowbell, because that's, that's all I can do. And next, we go to Hong Kong, to Cheng Chow. Uh, the Bun Festival, Cheng Chow Bun Festival. Uh, during this traditional Chinese festival, participants historically raced up a tower of buns. Yes, buns. I would get hamburger buns, hot dog buns. It doesn't specify what kind of bun. But they race up, they shimmy up, and they grab the highest bun, which would bring them the best fortune. Uh, the annual festival dates back to the 18th century and marks the eighth day of the fourth month in the, in the Chinese calendar, which coincides with the celebration of Buddha's birthday. Uh, the event's official bun supplier, Quan Kam Ki, 
makes more than 60,000 buns for the Bun Festival. Uh, the centerpieces of the event are three 60-foot bamboo towers covered in buns, which at today's festivals are scaled by three trained men. Hey, at least the three men are trained and uh, taking safety seriously. Unlike the people in Murcia, Spain, who are still leaping over rows of crying babies, dressed like demons and devils. But... I'm noticing, you know, many of these strange festivals are centered around food. You know, we've got the wheels of cheese, we've got the tomato fight going on in Spain, and uh, here we have Buddha and the buns. So, why not? You know, food brings people together. Next, we have the Underwater Music Festival in Lou Key Reef, Florida. All right, so Florida has two entries. Spain was on the list twice, if I remember rightly, and Finland got two, got two uh, festivals in the, in the list as well. Anyway, music festival, underwater music festival, uh, located in the Florida Keys in the United States, uh, in, which is the only living coral reef barrier in the United States. The underwater music festival has been running for 31 years. A local radio station sponsors the event to promote environmental sustainability and responsible diving, and they play their sea-themed music underwater through speakers that are suspended under boats situated above the reef. Uh, participants are encouraged to wear costumes and play underwater instruments to compete for prizes. And you know, I can't help but wonder <laughs> if an air guitarist from Finland has ever participated in this underwater music festival. You know, maybe some musical genius has accomplished both feats. You know, ripping off a mean uh, guitar solo by air, by sea, and maybe someday soon even in space, space, space. Uh, anyway, it's a strange thought, but no stranger than the other things that we've covered on this list. You know, humans are a curious bunch. We're inventive, creative, silly, and we're whimsical. And we're also competitive, and I suppose that's built into our DNA as a survival mechanism. You know, we love to compete, whether it's a battle of toes, a wife-carrying contest, or a race to the top of a bun tower like some carb-loving spider monkey. Uh, but we also love festivals, you know, especially those of us that are offbeat and, you know, we love irreverent fun. And I suppose it's the natural counterweight to our everyday lives, you know, which can seem a little predictable and a little vanilla at times. You know, the beauty of today's world is that we're spoiled for choices when it comes to odd and unusual festivals. Uh, people love a good party, and the weirder the better. So party on, podcast listeners. Enjoy your festivals. Uh, many of them sound like a lot of fun, and they all sound so strange. <laughs>